And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. I'm Jason Kleberg, and this is the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we discuss our picks on air. I recently reached out to some listeners and got some really constructive feedback about the show, and in light of that, I'm switching the format up a little bit, so let me know if you love it or hate it. Preamble aside, my guest today is Jason Beamish. He runs FilmRuminations.com and also uses his silky smooth voice to host the Film Ruminations podcast. He's going to join me in a bit to talk top five films by black directors. But first, let's talk about what I've been watching. Do you hear that sound? Do you hear it? That's the Nick Cage alert. Because yes, I watched a new 2021 film starring Nicolas Cage called Willy's Wonderland. Welcome to Willy's Wonderland. Spend the night cleaning Willy's Wonderland. I will pay to have your car fixed. Deal? You are officially on staff. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. <laughs> have you been listening to a word I've been saying? He's gonna die in here, but he won't listen to me. Willie's Wonderland, of course, stars Nick Cage as he plays a character just called Man. And this man finds himself stranded in a small town after he has some car trouble, and a local business owner promises to pay for his car repair. In return, Nicolas Cage is to clean up an old kid's party palace called Willie's Wonderland, Overnight. Sounds easy enough, but not all is what it seems inside Willy's Wonderland, and Nick Cage finds himself face to face with nightmarish animatronics. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge Nick Cage fan, and not in an ironic way, as many people are. I legitimately love Nick Cage's work, and I want to see him succeed. The role he plays here is unique in that he literally does not say one word throughout the entire film, but we do get to see him go insane on some giant robotic monstrosities and dance the night away while playing pinball. Nick Cage is always a great on-screen presence. His hardworking character only cares about cleaning the joint, and I think that omitting his backstory, or even a name from him, was kind of a good move. Now, the story of Willy's Wonderland is about as weird as stories get, and that is something that I will always appreciate. You've got this old, cursed building built on the back of a satanic ritual that the town essentially feeds people to as a way to keep those entities inside of a building and that's a really fun premise. Adding in Chuck E. Cheese-like animatronics is a horror that many of us can relate to because even the real-life ones are fucking terrifying. Now don't get me wrong, this script is dumber than a bag of hammers, but at least it's a fun premise. Unfortunately, it's hampered by camera work that feels like it's trying way too hard to be edgy and cool. Fight scenes are horribly shot and edited, often with tons of cuts, incredibly shaky camera work, and they almost always feature unnecessary angles just for the heck of it. The lighting is often poor during these scenes as well, leaving much of the gore to the imagination aside from some blood splattering here and there. Because of this, encounters with these creatures become indiscernible and lose their sense of fun very quickly. Next time, let's just get one tripod on set, just one, and an editor who knows that we are allowed to stay on one shot for more than three seconds. 
There's also a pack of side characters who find themselves in Willy's Wonderland mid-movie because we need a body count, and they're all just cut-and-paste degenerates with little to no personality who make ridiculously bad choices just because the script needs them to. The Chuck E. Cheese-like creatures, while creepy, could have had a better signature way to kill people. As it stands, whether you're looking at a distorted fairy or a vicious alligator, you're just getting bitten to death. One of them has this sort of whip tongue, but the way it's used is pretty lame. And the way they're killed is basically all the same as well. Beat them up. Rinse. Repeat. It would have been nice to see each one present a different kind of challenge, like the gauntlet style that we saw in 1987's The Running Man. That being said, I never would have predicted that I'd see Nicolas Cage curb stump an animatronic gorilla on the edge of a toilet urinal, but here we are. Aside from that encounter, watching Nick Cage clean the bathroom was one of my favorite parts of the film. Willy's Wonderland was a so-so time for me, but it's not a film that I'd be jumping to recommend. I really expected more. Unfortunately, the filmmaking and its weak script got in the way of this being a blast. My favorite parts of the film should not be the ones where Nick Cage is wiping down bathroom sinks and playing pinball, when there are possessed animatronic monsters roaming around. I'd like to see more creative gore and a better supporting cast to help Nick Cage out. I haven't played the game series Five Nights at Freddy's, but this film is drawing a lot of comparisons to that, so if you're a fan of that game series, this one might be right up your alley. But that's just my opinion. Let's go to Letterboxd for a second opinion. Letterboxd user Caden May says, My friend Eric went through this. Miss him sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. User Brioni Kopnall didn't like it very much, says, I want Nick Cage, the domestic goddess, to play me like that pinball table. What a horrendous film, but it did have some good birthday references. Half a star. Okay. User Let Lolliet loved it. Gave it five stars and said, This kind of movies is the best of film industry. I'm glad you liked it. Finally, we have a note from C Pancakes that says, This is the best fucking movie I've seen in my entire life. I experienced every possible emotion. Move over, Citizen Kane. Willie's is coming for your place. Makes me more hype for the Five Nights at Freddy movie. The 1984 reference and Mike Schmidt is hot as fuck. Sex scene is crazy. Wish the alligator joined in to make it a threesome, though, instead of just watching and being a cuck. Three out of ten. Five stars. It's about time to bring Jason Beamish on, but first, a word from this week's Force 5 sponsor. Podcasting can sure work up an appetite, and when I'm hungry, I know what I'm reaching for. A big kahuna burger. Made with only the freshest ingredients, made to order, Big Kahuna Burger lives up to its tagline. Mmm, that is one tasty burger. Order online and enter promo code MARVIN, that's promo code MARVIN, for a free water with any Big Kahuna Burger. Remember, if it doesn't get all over the back seat, it doesn't belong in your face. This is the Force 5 Podcast, and joining me tonight on really short notice is fellow film fan Jason Beamish. He comes to you from Ohio, and like I said at the top, he runs both the Film Ruminations website and podcast, and puts out some really great content. Jason, how's it going? I'm doing very well, Jason. Thank you for having me. The Two Jasons. Just to get a sense of, give the listeners a sense of what you like and your taste in film, what would you say are some of your favorite films in general that just that might not make the list that we have today? I would say that if I were to pick my, my like top five, it would be uh, The Double Life of Veronique, Chungking Express, Zero Dark Thirty, Dawn of the Dead, and The Thing, none of which qualify for this list. 
<laughs> True. And some some very eclectic tastes as well, <laughs> which is cool. And we thought we'd do this for Black History Month, but there are a lot of awesome films out there directed by African-Americans and black filmmakers. And I'm really excited to get into this list with you. Right on. So let's do it. Let's get to the list. You know what's going to happen? Top five films directed by black filmmakers. Aside from this being Black History Month, was there any other reason why you chose this topic? Well, I, after I chose it, I realized that it was uh, much too grand of a topic for two days worth of planning and research. But I also realized that if we if we were to expect anybody to to give us 10 seconds to listen, we should be able to put together the top of anything. Um, I just feel that it is very important that uh, somebody that's a film buff that has, you know, invested the time to kind of go outside the, the, the mainstream can kind of bring it back together just to, to pass out to any people that are new to collecting or new to, the bug of cinephilia. And when I looked, I did a brief search for, you know, best uh, African-American directors, this, that, and the other. There's a a lot of common thread between them all. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to say that they're not fine films, but I think that there's a little bit more out there that can be offered. I'm guessing just because of, our conversation before about the list that you saw that mine is going to fall more into that uh, traditional, like mainstream category on some of them, but I do have uh, some off the wall picks. And that's why I rolled the dice and assumed that. So I went off the wall. Nice. And that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. I don't know what's on your list. Uh, We haven't discussed this, but like this is not to say that barbershop and Friday are not, you know, seminal films what was one of the lists i saw was the best movies that don't have to that aren't about black trauma you know there's Mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff out there um but those are movies that a lot of people know so that's why i uh stepped away from that well let's go ahead and start with your number five why don't you kick us off uh what's your number five on your top five films by black filmmakers okay so like i said it's about going uh deep down so that's why my very first film is actually from 2019 and and it's quite popular but one of the rules that i did set for myself was that that at least two of them also had to be directed by um black women okay so my very first one is directed by melina matsalkas written by lena waith and that is queen and slim can i ask you something what took you so long to respond to me? I sent you a very well-crafted message three weeks ago. And today, out of the blue, you hit me up asking if you want to grab dinner. What changed? I didn't feel like being alone. Not tonight. So you turned to Tinder. So what happens tonight? Did you think we were going to have sex? Nah, I'm you. No. I thought we were going to hang out, maybe get to know each other. Field execute a turn signal back there. I'm going to ask you to step out of the vehicle for me. Could you please hurry up? What did you say? It's just cold. Get on the ground! 
Keep your hands where I can see Why is he under arrest? What is your badge number? Chill, just chill! I'm reaching for my cell phone! Now let's go. Why the younger brother away? The younger mother used to be Cop killers! Cop killers! Who's self-defense? We're in the black money and class. In the city breaking and everybody's shaking up. How you gonna outrun the police? We don't have to outrun them. We just have to make sure they don't know where we are. This is Kentucky, my friend. There's a war going on out there, and you welcome this into our home? Is this y'all? Y'all really gave us something to believe in. We need a death for real. Let them go! This is one I haven't seen yet, but... I oh, my one. goodness. It is... Uh, I would hoist it up a little bit higher on your list. It's uh, about... So, Queen and Slim are... Uh, 20 something African Americans that live in Ohio. And that's not why I liked it. So they live in Ohio. They go on a Tinder date. And while they're driving home, they get pulled over by the cops. And one thing leads to another. And there is a shooting, but it flips on the other side. And it's Slim who ends up. Sh- uh, it's either Queen or Slim. It's been a minute since I watched it, that end up shooting the cop. So it almost becomes like a Bonnie and Clyde story of them driving across the country, trying to stay one step ahead of the large amount of police that are trying to track them down and the incredible uh, bounty that's uh, on their heads. Uh, that sounds really bleak, but um, hmm. the the bounty that they to bring them in. It stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya and uh, Jody Turner-Smith, as well as uh, Bo Keem Woodbine and Chloe Savini and Flea. It, when I wanted to watch it and I was sent the Blu-ray for it and it just blew me away uh, when I did have a chance to sit down and watch it. It sounds like it's something that I would enjoy, so I'll definitely mm-hmm. check that out. And I know there was talk about that for awards last year and just didn't pan out. Yeah, that would, uh, I, I rarely pay attention to that or ever say the word snub because, you know, people make decisions, but this, I would genuinely say that this one got snubbed, uh, both in acting as well as directing and writing. It was, it's a very well-written movie. That's Queen and Slim from 2019. Yes. All right. Uh, let's see. The only rule that I put forth for my list is that I wanted it to be films that I haven't talked about yet. Mm-hmm. So that did strike a few from the list that might have made my list before, but uh, we'll go ahead and knock one off the list that you already mentioned. 1995's Friday. Damn! Look, look, she bending over. I'm Miss Parker. Hi, boy. Miss Parker just don't know. Come here. What's up, big palm? I mean, big one. If you ain't got my money, I'm killing you and him. You don't drag me into this. I'm used to stealing. Get in, get out. Here come Debo. Give me your stuff. You want me to ask for my bike back? What bike? The one I let you use a couple of weeks ago. That bike. Directed by F. Gary Gray. And I think everybody's seen Friday. Hopefully everybody's seen Friday. Starring Ice Cube, Chris Tucker, Tiny Lister Jr., and uh, a very young Regina King mm-hmm. in there as well. It's about these two dudes, uh, Craig, who's played by Ice Cube, but he's unemployed. He was fired, and he's spending the day with his boy Smokey. 
And Spokey was given 200 bucks worth of weed to sell, but he ended up smoking it all. So Big Worm, his supplier, comes around. He wants his money or his product back by the end of the day, or Smokey is a dead man. Uh, you also have very memorable characters in Debo, played by Tiny Lister Jr. He's this uh, local bully who goes around just terrorizing the neighborhood. And then you got all kinds of uh, female issues for Craig, his psychotic girlfriend and uh, his neighbor that he has a crush on. So all this stuff happens just hanging out on the porch on a Friday. And it's just one of the funniest comedies to me of all time. It has so many quotable lines and it's uh, a classic. I feel like it's a classic that I grew up with. And I normally don't like Chris Tucker, but I loved him in this film. A great all around comedy. and. Uh, F. Gary Gray, I don't think, has ever come close to touching Friday with the rest of his films. Excellent. I am a big fan of Friday. Um, that was one of the ones that was on. I had the first dozen times that I saw it, it was just like on USA or uh, MTV, maybe at the time. So it was something that I had never seen before, like never really experienced before. And it was it, it was just great. Yeah, great soundtrack, too. Mm hmm. All right, on to your number four. Okay. Uh, again, like I said, uh, these first two don't really represent the kind of going out there. Uh, but this was uh, Ryan Coogler's uh, debut from 2013. It's called Fruitvale Station. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey! Shots fired at Fruitvale. We just trying to get home. What is going on? Next stop, Fruitvale Station. We're gonna go to Frisco, right? See the fireworks? Yeah. We're gonna say bye? Bye. Love you too. Everything's changing around me. And I wanna change. Hey, hey. what's up, girl? It's now or never. I'm trying to get back on my feet. I really need this job. I hired somebody else. I feel different today. What'd you do today? I don't know what else to say. I thought I could start over fresh, but I'm working out. It's now or never. I'm scared. I hear guns. Those are firecrackers. You're safe inside. What about you, Daddy? We'll be back before you wake up. I'm going to be fine. Uh, it's a, a biographical drama film about the murder of uh, Oscar Grant at Fruitvale Station in uh shoot would that be uh Oakland. san francisco area yeah yeah it's right outside of where i live it depicts his last day um leading up to the incident i don't know if i i guess i technically have already spoiled it um yeah it's it, i mean it's pretty well known yeah yeah it's well it's about a police involved shooting and it it actually uh it was on my list i knew it was going to be transformative i knew it would be worthy of a list like this but it wasn't until i finished it this afternoon that it bumped something else off so this stars um michael b jordan kevin duran chad michael murray octavia spencer um it has a, a great soundtrack but if it just completely moved me even though i knew what was happening you know it's an edge of your seat uh, of a foregone conclusion sure but it, it was just a, a a crazy time and i 
you know, I wish there weren't movies like this because I wish they had nothing on which to base them, but letting people see the humanity uh, of the people, of the victims, rather than just what the, uh, the talking heads throw back at each other uh, is, is super important to helping everybody to understand how difficult and challenging life can be. This one almost made my list as well. Obviously, coming from this area, I mean, it was all over the place here. And when you say talking heads, like Oscar Grant was not, he was not like a squeaky clean dude, mm-hmm. but he was trying to get his life back right. And of course, uh, the media portrayed him as this, you know, lifetime criminal or whatever, which he absolutely wasn't. And you can't just categorize somebody by, you know, one thing that they've done in the past or mm-hmm. It's it, it's a tough movie to watch, especially being so close to where it happened. Yeah. That's uh, Fruitvale Station from 2013. Uh, we'll go to my other probably more obvious pick, 1991's Boys in the Hood, directed by John Singleton. In South Central L.A. Yo, Benito, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? You shoot the motherfucker. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Man, why are you sweating me? You're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no bull. Hey, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. I heard you like Mr. GQ smooth now. Maybe some of what you got to rub off on him. Ricky was looking for a better life. I want to do something with my life, right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, I used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. Uh, the stars Ice Cube, Morris Chestnut, Cuba Gooding Jr., Lawrence Fishburne, and Angela Bassett. And it follows the lives of three young men living in the uh, Crenshaw ghetto of L.A., and it goes through questions of race and relationships and violence and what the future might hold. So these three kids, you got one of them named Ricky. He's kind of this all-American athlete. He wants to get a football scholarship to go to USC. And he's kind of seeking his salvation through sports. And then you've got his half-brother, Doughboy, played by Ice Cube. And he succumbs to the violence and alcohol and the crime surrounding him. Um, and then you've got in the middle, you've got Cuba Gooding Jr., their friend Trey. And he has a, a dad named Furious who teaches him about just strength of character and doing what's right and taking responsibility for that action. It's a, it's a really powerful drama that I don't think has aged. You know, the messages in there are still the same as they were when it came out in 1991 around our social problem about ghettos, not just in South Central L.A., but everywhere where these young people are forced to live with violence and, and shootings because they and their parents can't afford to move to a better neighborhood. And even those that try to get out or prepare for a better future might be involved with that same environment. I've I've always loved Boys in the Hood, but it's definitely not an easy watch. And I think it's even tougher to watch now than it was back in 1991. That really is the sad part. Yeah. That we just just can't seem to shake this. Boys in the Hood, 1991. It's my number two. My number four. My number three 
kind of plays off of that on the on the on the other side, and that is 1970s uh, American comedy film by Melvin Van Peebles, Watermelon Man. Winner and still undefeated, folks. Pay some respectful homage, please. Fair, please. Arrogant, arrogant, they're all arrogant. In the good old days, back in the old South, you'd have to drive from back here. <laughs> Get it? Back of the bus? This is about a bigoted... Uh, white insurance salesman who is enjoying his life in the suburbs and then all of a sudden wakes up one day and he is black and just the the bizarre stuff that he goes through to try and figure out what happens he thinks that he spent too much time under a sun lamp <laughs> um, he tries to bathe in milk in order to become white again just everything that you would think from like the seventies, the, the late sixties and seventies that just the complete lack of compassion and understanding that the white community had for um, African-Americans that were just doing their, trying to live their best life. And this movie is funny. It's touching, but once he accepts the fact that he is black, suddenly he's getting the calls. Hey, move out uh we we need you to leave before our property value takes a hit just the the abundant racism of his neighborhood and, and the people around him that that they just i mean i if i were to wake up black tomorrow i imagine i would i would hope i'd be you know a little more understanding but I, just the the traumatic switch in my life everything that i know is is different I can understand it, but again, he's he was a pretty bad person to begin with, just in his his attitudes towards everything. And I had learned of it back when Vinegar Syndrome released their "Sweet Sweet Max Badass" song. They mentioned this during one of the interviews or uh, in the the booklet. I don't recall exactly, and I knew I had to track it down immediately. It was difficult, very difficult to find. Indicator just released it, but it's right now it's streaming on uh, Criterion Channel. Um, I don't know how long that'll stay that way, but I would highly, highly recommend that you check this out. It sounds like a film that in the wrong hands would have just been absolutely disastrous. And it, it nearly was because so what they what they ended up doing was they hired uh, black stand up comedian Godfrey Cambridge and put him in whiteface for the first 20 minutes or however long. Uh, but what they originally wanted to do was shoot uh they had toyed around with like alan arkin or jack lemon oh, and then God. doing blackface and it could have gone so far beyond acceptable it would have aged very very poorly yeah no kidding if you have criterion channel while it's on there i you should definitely check this one out and that's uh watermelon man 98 minutes it's it it goes pretty good it's not it's, it doesn't really slow down too much for my number three we will go to 
Well, you went 1970s, so I'll go with a movie that kind of spoofs the 1970s. This is from 2009, Black Dynamite. All you suckers gather round. There's a brand new movie coming to town. To get on up and check the scene of the smoothest, baddest mother to ever hit the big screen. Main man, Black Dynamite. He's super cool and he no kung fu. Drives a $5,000 car and wears a $100 suit. You're so righteous. This is also true. And when it comes to the ladies, he's out of sight. Uh, let me guess. You one of these brothers thinking get by on a wink and a smile, huh? What about the smile? I am smiling. Black Dynamite. Never in the history of the game has there been such devastation. The CIA needs Black Dynamite now more than ever. We need you, Black Dynamite, now more than ever. I thought I told you, hunkies from the CIA, that Black Dynamite was out of the game. And he's better than Sham Superfly and the Mac put together. But when the mob kills his brother... Your death will not go on a bench. ...and put the dope on the street. It's my nephew, Bucky. He od He's back in the game and he's playing for keeps. Black Dynamite is one of the funniest comedies I have ever seen. And it follows the story of... This 1970s African-American action legend, Black Dynamite, but when the man kills his brother, pumps heroin into local orphanages, and floods the ghetto with malt liquor, Black Dynamite's the only one willing to fight the man from the blood-soaked streets to the hollowed howls, halls of the honky house. Oh boy. Have you ever seen Black Dynamite? I have not. Oh, this one's so good. Uh, are you a fan of black exploitation movies? I absolutely love black exploitation movies. So I'm a huge fan of black exploitation movies as well. Uh, one of those comes in like number six, which I'll talk about mm -hmm. afterwards in my honorable mentions. But this is a fantastic send off of that genre. Uh, it's directed by Scott Sanders and it stars Michael Jai White, Arsenio Hall, Tommy Davidson, just a ton of cool cameos. It's so over the top. Mm -hmm. I was, I was like, there's very hardly a movie that makes me laugh out loud. Uh, most of the time, even when something's really funny, I'm chuckling to myself, mm -hmm. but I could not stop laughing out loud during this movie. Even if you're not a fan of black exploitation movies, this is going to be a really fun watch, but there's a lot of ways you can go with um, satires of genres and movies like scary movie three don't know how to do it right. This movie, Black Dynamite, does it right. All right. My number two is a 1982 film by Kathleen Collins called Losing Ground. I got that book on Zunay. Oh, good. It's the finest analysis of being an outsider I've ever read. I'm glad you found it. There are books that can make a difference in a life. You're terrific. Your husband appreciates you. My husband? <laughs> Got you in a close-up, Professor. You look just like Pearl McCormick, Scar of Shame, Philadelphia Color Plays, 1927. Are we supposed to talk? I don't know. It is about, uh, it's a semi-autobiographical -autobiographic film uh, about a philosophy professor um, who is married to a uh, successful painter 
and it's kind of like a Italian neorealism sort of, it feels authentic and just as a, a great drama story about a troubled marriage starring Sarah Scott, Bill Gunn and Dwayne Jones uh, from Night of the Living Dead. And it's just a, an incredibly touching drama about the difficult, the difficult relationship that uh, uh, Scott and Gunn have and how uh, Bill Gunn's Victor, you know, he's not, he doesn't appear to be super loyal and it's starting to really rub Sarah Rogers, uh, uh, uh Scott's character the wrong way. And it's, it's a really, really, really fine film. Uh, it was unfortunately lost for a long time just due to rights, I believe, but her daughter after so the director, Kathleen Collins, uh, her daughter kind of resurrected it. Uh, this is on uh, milestone has a really nice Blu-ray of it. This is my one that's kind of off the wall and out there. So I'm interested to know if you've heard of this. It's from 1968. It's called Symbiopsychotaxoplasm. And then what kind? Uh, feature length. Uh, uh, it's a feature length. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> we are not trying to take the film away from Bill Grease. You know, it's, it's not merely an experiment. It's an experiment that's culminating in a film. Now, I, no, I didn't read the concept of it. Take it easy. What? The screen is very wrong. It is not. You know it. The way to make the script better is to first of all drop the euphemisms. You talk real language. For all anybody knows, he's directing this whole scene. Uh, he doesn't know how to direct. Heard of it? Yes. Uh, seen it? No. Oh, how do I describe this? It's by famous documentarian William Greaves. He had this crazy idea to let these two other film crews figure out what's happening on their own. So here's the setup. William Greaves is a documentarian, and he comes to this park to film two people having a very mundane conversation. And he doesn't tell anybody else other than the actors what's going on. He also has another documentary crew that he says, hey, I want you to film me filming these folks. So they're making a documentary about him making his movie. And then he has a third documentary crew that's filming the documentary crew that's filming him. So it's like inception levels of documentaries going on. <laughs> now, all anybody knows is that William Greaves is directing a, a, a movie and these people are having a conversation in this park. But it goes on for eight days in that he keeps on doing new takes or he keeps swapping actors out. Uh, now he wants a, a white actress in this role. Now he wants a black actress in this role. Now he wants somebody a little more convincing. And, he, and he's swapping people out. And he's coming across as kind of this real crazy dictator. And then at some point, these two documentary crews, one that's filming William Greaves and the other that's filming the documentary crew filming William Greaves, they get together after hours and they're still filming. And they're basically trying to come up with what the heck is going on. And they're, they're trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And are we being set up? And is this guy just a dictator? Is he just a dick in general? <laughs> and they're, they're coming up with these theories at the end of this shoot, which I think was like, it was somewhere between eight and 10 days. 
these two fed up documentary crews just give him all this footage and say, here it is. It's yours. Just we want to get out of here. And then they leave tons of footage shot. I think it was like 10 days worth of footage. And then he cuts it all into this really interesting way where sometimes you see the same scene being played out on screen in three different boxes on your screen from different points of view. It's a really inventive, really interesting documentary uh, filmed in kind of like a cinema verite style that didn't get a theatrical release because I think it was so out there in 1968. It finally got a viewing at Sundance in the early 90s. And Steve Buscemi happened to be there. And so he kind of helped revive it. And then Steven Soderbergh did the same thing and finally brought it to audiences under the title Symbiopsychotaxoplasm Take One. And then there's actually a sequel, Take Two, about his involvement in there, Soderbergh's involvement in there. Just a really daring and interesting documentary that a lot of people should see just because of the the way he lets people figure out on their own what's going on. And he trusted these people to go and get their own footage of these secret kind of coup meetings behind his back. So that's uh, Symbiopsychotaxoplasm from 1968, directed by William Greaves. It might be on the Criterion channel right now. I remember when it got announced uh, from Criterion, and now I have a reason. All right, on to your number one. Well, you led into it fairly well uh, with your mention of Steven Soderbergh, and he was monumental in resurrecting the 1978 film by Charles Burnett called Killer of Sheep. You are not a child anymore. You soon will be a goddamn man. Now, start learning what life is about now, son. This was Burnett's UCLA thesis film that he made and put together, and it is sort of like a slice of life in Watts, Los Angeles, about Henry Sanders and just trying to live on the straight and narrow, but how difficult life was in Watts back in the 70s. The biggest issue that this film had was that uh, Charles Burnett, I don't know if he didn't understand how music rights went, but he just used whatever music he wanted to. Sure. And so it got, it it played some... um, it played a few festivals and was very well received, but since there was no way that he could afford the rights to the music, uh, it was just shelved indefinitely uh, until sometime what was it nineteen uh, two thousand and seven. Steven Soderbergh uh, wanted the film to be seen, so he and some other people put up the the money for a restoration of it, as well as to pay for the rights for the the audio. And I don't know if you've seen any other Charles Burnett films, but they're just very high quality, you know, dramas. And this one, it it does have the feeling of a thesis film. It's all, well, for the most part, at least it's uh, all amateur actors or just people off the street coming in to say a few lines. It's an incredible film. His other film, To Sleep With Anger, was on this list. And then I finally... This was also a first-time watch, and it vaulted to the very, very top. I just think that both 
as an African-American director, as well as the themes and the, the visuals in this film. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. And it's unfortunate that it was difficult to see. It's, it's available now. Um, and I would absolutely recommend everybody check this one out. And that's from 1978, Killer of Sheep by Charles Burnett. And then watch the rest of Charles Burnett's movies as well. That's awesome. I got to check that out. I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't think that I've seen any of Charles Burnett's work. So I have some homework to do. I I will do my best to not lead you wrong. <laughs> Are those available on disc or? Um, Killer of Sheep is available also from Milestone. Okay. Some of his other films are on the Criterion channel. This one I actually rented that, uh, I think it's either four or five dollar Vimeo rental. That's not bad. No. And I mean, I'll get the disc. I just didn't, I knew it would not arrive in time. So I, I found a way. Cool. And it's, it was really, really incredible. We're going to go to my, uh, my number one, which is not available on Blu ray. And it's baffling as to why it's not. It's one of my favorite, not just favorite films by uh, African-American directors, but one of my favorite films of all time. From 1995, The Hughes Brothers' Dead Presidents. You're almost as good a getaway driver as me. I'm about to get my pimp thing on started. Why are you always talking about this pimp stuff, man? What's happening? Women so pretty. Man, I ain't afraid of no war. I just want to do something that's different. Yeah, well, getting your head blown off is different. <laughs> so then you gonna marry me when you get back? You ain't got somebody else. I don't want nobody else. To the Bronx. Now you gonna play this Marine War hero. What you got when you get back here, huh? kind of a war film it's kind of an action film but it's centered around this heist of old bills that have been retired from circulation and are destined to just be burned and that's why they call them dead presidents it's more of a commentary on black americans and their involvement in vietnam and how they're when they come home the social issues and civil rights during the 60s it leaves them trapped i Absolutely adore this film. Laren's Tate has one of his best performances as Anthony. It was really tough to decide between this and Menace to Society for my list, but I had talked about Menace to Society before, so I couldn't bring it up. Laren's Tate as O-Dog is just a great performance, but here as Anthony, just as good. Also stars Keith David as Kirby, his kind of handler when he comes back. You've got Chris Tucker in there as his friend Skip. Freddie Rodriguez as his other friend, Jose, and the, the different paths that they take once they get back from Vietnam. You also get a very young Terrence Howard in there hmm. who uh, confronts Anthony at one point in a pool hall. Just a really powerful movie. It's a little bit bleak. And now for some reason, it's hard to find because you can't get it on Blu-ray. You can still get it on DVD, but Criterion actually had this at one point during the Laserdisc days. I guess they lost the rights before DVD and Blu-ray came around, which is a shame because I know that they could do so much with it. I love this film. Really great look at 60s New York and Vietnam. You mentioned Bokeem Woodbine earlier. Mm -hmm. He's in here as well. It's kind of half split between their time in Vietnam and then their time when they get back. And the Hughes brothers haven't done a whole lot. They haven't been really active, but 
according to my conversation last week with uh, Diane Paragas, they are coming back. So I'm looking forward to what they do next. On the first draft of this list, um, Dead Presidents was definitely on it. Nice. Um, I I saw this movie. It looked like a great movie. And I took a girl on a date to see this movie. And I wish I had done a little bit of homework because (laughs) it was not a great date movie for teenagers. When was this? 95. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should not have seen that. I don't even know who let us in, but I fell in love with it then. And then she promptly fell out of love with me. Um, (laughs) But that's okay because I still have the dead presidents. Also, it's kind of strange for somebody that doesn't care much for Chris Tucker to have two Chris Tucker movies on his list. It's funny because as I as I said that <laughs> when we were talking Friday, it's like, oh wait a minute, <laughs> this is my this is my first of two on this list. So maybe I maybe I am a Tucker fan, and I just couldn't admit it to myself until this very moment. And that's okay. I accept okay. that. Maybe it's time for me to rewatch Fifth Element again. Oh, you definitely got to watch Fifth Element again. <laughs> Even if not, not for Chris Tucker. Uh, any um, any also rands or honorable mentions that you want to mention that maybe weren't brought up? There's two. Uh, these are actually the first one is just a, a Blu-ray collection, and that is from Kino Classics. It's the Pioneers of African American Cinema. Uh, it came out ooh, three years ago, I think, and it is. 19 digitally restored feature films with as well as short films, some fragments uh, and documentaries. It is an incredible collection. There's so much that to learn about African-American cinema in the United States that you just don't even know existed. Uh, I'll, I'll say I did not even know that it existed. I mean, they have the same quality level as a lot of the lower budget, you know, silent films that weren't Charlie Chaplin. Um, so it's not like you're going to see groundbreaking anything, but just the fact that, you know, it's like a lot of these were like all black productions, you know, there, except probably, you know, there's probably money on one level. Uh, this is an incredible set. Uh, hopefully it's still available. It'd be a, well, shameful if it wasn't. Um, and that's the pioneers of African-American cinema. And the movie that bumped off, that was bumped off by Fruitvale Station is a film called Who Killed Captain Alex? Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> yes, I love Holy that. I love that film. Shit, this is amazing. For people that are unaware, there's a little group called Wakaliwood in Uganda, and they make, so Who Killed Captain Alex cost 200 American dollars to make. And if you watch it, it's very clear that it costs 200 American dollars to make. But the ingenuity that these these uh, African filmmakers realize that with a cheap computer and Kickstarter, you can make just fun and engaging action movies. Yeah, um, this is this comes on a this this one came in a two pack. Uh, it was called Wakaliwood Super Action Volume One uh, with a movie called Bad Black. Uh, from the American Genre Film Archives, and my God, is this movie special? Because I, I haven't seen it on disc. I've only seen it when it was available only on YouTube. Yeah. Was the was there still the like DJ talking yes. over? Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. actually both. There's there's both versions on the disc. Uh, just 
it, but it's like don't even bother to watch it with the regular audio yeah uh, the it's vj emmy just <laughs> it, it's an amazing experience that i think i had seen a few short clips of people in uganda using uh just a cheap, cheap computer, at least to our standards, a cheap, cheap yeah. computer to put themselves in a spaceship. And I'm like, <laughs> God, I got to know more about this. I don't know if you've talked about the American Genre Film Archive too much on on your show. I haven't, but they're putting out some interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, that has been the heart of my podcast uh, was to just go through the releases. And this one, you know, it was, it was not even a question if I was going to get it, but it just knocked my socks off. It's a blast for sure. Yes. The special effects are exactly what you would expect from a $200 computer, but it's <laughs> so endearing just because they're having so much fun doing it yeah. in every frame. It's like a, a 90s video game style helicopter graphics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. There are still quotes that my best friend and I uh, say when whenever we're playing video games and we start getting into battle, it's combat. <laughs> who killed captain alex that's an awesome choice my i mean my short list that was not mentioned obviously do the right thing um if you haven't seen that you know you should you should have actually all of these you should pause and go and watch in my opinion a dry white season and black girl um the those three were all on criterion they're probably on the criterion channel as well every year i do uh end of year wrap up best home video releases and when Black Girl came out, it was on the top of the list, almost on the list, just got cut off, uh, actually released this year. Uh, it's called Cutthroat City by RZA from the Wu-Tang. Oh, I've heard Man. of it, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I mean, it's not the best of type of quality, but it's just a really, really good movie about uh, people trying to make it in post-Katrina New Orleans. So this would have been uh, 2005 is when it takes place. And it was it was a very, very moving film and very well made. I had uh, just a couple that weren't mentioned. The first I didn't mention because I had talked about it on this podcast before. That's uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another that I haven't yet had the time to absorb because I just watched it recently and I, I need to watch it again from Steve McQueen, Mangrove, as part of his Small Axe series. Mm -mm. Steve McQueen is an amazing director and I could have chosen any of his films really to put on this list. The only one I didn't love was widows, but he put out this really cool. It's, it's listed as a TV series, but there are six different hour and a half long episodes. I mean, they're basically movies and mangrove was one of them, which dealt with the black experience in London, which is uh, it's, it's really great. If you haven't seen it, check that out. Speaking of black exploitation, I almost put, Three the Hard Way on from uh, Gordon Parks Jr. from yes. 1974. Uh, great films with uh, Jim Brown, Jim Kelly, Fred Williamson. That one's super fun. It's it's a blast. That one's on a DVD in my quarantine section in my garage. Which nice. Is just a way that I lie to myself that I don't buy too much. Um, <laughs> it's it, probably this weekend, maybe. Because it, it was in like a four pack of uh, similar uh, action black exploitation films, but I almost put on Dolmite is my name and any of the Dolmite movies. They're all just, I mean, they're low quality, but 
they're very, very good. And Vinegar Syndrome has done a lot of great work when it comes to releasing high quality versions of the black exploitation films. Yeah, I know they put out uh, Tangerine Man. Mm-hmm. They have Black uh, Black Godfather as well. The last thing that I want to mention is kind of came to mind while you were talking about the pioneers of African-American cinema collection. Mm -hmm. There's a really great series that I've talked about on this show before on Shudder called Horror Noir. And it's all about the black contributions to the horror genre. And if you're interested in horror and interested in the films and and titles that we've talked about on this episode, go and watch Horror Noir as well. It's uh, it's really great. Definitely. And I think they just got a Blu-ray if you don't want to get shutter which you should want to get shutter because it's great well hey thanks for coming on the show with me and yeah. and talking some amazing movies by black filmmakers do you have anything that you want people to check out what what do you want to plug tell us a little bit about f- film ruminations like any uh, cinema fan i a couple of years ago decided that i needed to watch the best movies ever made so i found the bfi uh, bfi top 50 list and after watching Shoah, I said, I have some thoughts, and I realized that I should probably write essays about all of them. And then after that, I just decided, it's just me. Uh, it's fancy to say I'm the editor of, but you know, I'm the only of. So I, I'm able to focus on, only on what I like. I rarely have to talk about something that I didn't care for, uh, which is very important to me because there's, there's not enough time to sit around and just bash on on movies you just move on uh so that was really one of my guiding principles and then i decided to make a podcast uh about a year year and a half two years ago and i realized that i needed to have a focus on it and so the first i don't even remember how many episodes um have been about the american genre film archive i also threw in some halloween like 30 for 30 sort of things and then i started working on grindhouse releasing so it's super nerdy, really, when it comes down to it. <laughs> well, we're podcasting, and anybody listening yeah. to a podcast is kind it's, of a little bit nerdy, I think. It's it's like hyper-focused. You know, you could have endless movie podcasts that talk about everything under the sun, and then I'm here just mumbling on about Turkish movies, Turkish action <laughs> movies. So that's the glory of podcasting, I suppose. True. You just find your find your loyal crowd. And maybe you'll have some new loyal loyal listeners after this. Oh, that'd be delightful. I'm getting ready to dust things off and, and pick it back up again because I'm starting to get behind on Agfa releases. Well, I will be looking forward to that. Excellent. That's very kind. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The new top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. If you want to be a guest on the Force 5 podcast, the only real requirements are that you love movies and want to talk about them. If you have a top five list that you want the world to discuss, head to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and other Force 5 related stuff. Go rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow the Force 5 podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some awesome films by black filmmakers. (laughs) 